0: You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. A warning, this episode includes graphic depictions of cannibalism and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. decaphobia is a fear of Friday the 13th. This fear is caused mainly by the negative associations with Friday and the number 13 in many religions and cultures around the world. Because this date is connected with the crucifixion of Christ, many Christians believe it's an extremely unlucky number. The Bible also mentions that the Last Supper had 13 members and the 13th member, Judas, ultimately betrayed Jesus. The number 12 is often considered a complete, perfect number. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. Conversely, 13 is considered unwholesome, as it upsets this perfect balance. In Roman culture, witches are believed to have gathered in groups of 12, saving the 13th spot for the devil himself. Superstition and fear associated with Friday the 13th grew specifically during the Middle Ages. This was the day the Knights Templar were tortured by King Philip IV of France. In Britain, Friday and 13 are associated with capital punishment. Friday was the day of the hangman, or the noose, as many public hangings took place on this day. There were also exactly 13 steps leading to the gallows. Whether or not the superstitions are real, several tragic and unlucky events have occurred on Friday the 13th, from the unsolved murder of Tupac Shakur and the bombing of Buckingham Palace to deadly natural disasters and the birth of the KKK's first Grand Wizard. In today's special episode, we'll explore one devastating plane crash that took place on Friday, October 13th, 1972. Was it the unlucky date that caused the catastrophe, leading to dozens of deaths and cannibalism among the survivors? Stay with me as we explore Uruguayan Flight 571. I'm Jaden McKell, and you're listening to Straight Up Enigmas. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoy the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps out our show. Connect with us on social media, where we post each episode as it airs. We're proud to be a member of the Straight Up Strange Network. I'll include a link to the network's Facebook page in the show notes. If you'd like to support our podcast, please check us out at patreon.com Slash straight up enigmas to receive bonus content, shoutouts on social media, personalized messages from me, and early access to our regularly scheduled episodes. Without further ado, let's begin. In 1972, a college rugby team called the Old Christians Club, chartered a Uruguayan Air Force plane to transport them from Montevideo, Uruguay to Santiago, Chile. On October 12th, the twin-engined turboprop left Carrasco International Airport, carrying five crew members and 40 passengers. Besides club members, friends and family were also on board, as they'd been recruited to help pay the cost of the plane. Because of poor weather in the mountains, they were forced to stay overnight in Mendoza, Argentina, before leaving at about 2.18 p.m. the following day. Although Santiago lay to the west of Mendoza, the plane was not built to fly higher than approximately 22,500 feet, so the pilots plotted a course south to the pass of Planchon, where the aircraft could safely clear the Andes. About an hour after takeoff, the pilot notified air controllers that he was flying over the pass and soon after that he radioed that he had reached Curaco, Chile, about 110 miles south of Santiago and had turned north. But the pilot had misjudged the location of the aircraft, which was still in the Andes. Unaware of the mistake, controllers cleared him to begin descending in preparation for landing shortly after this the Chilean control tower was unable to contact the plane at around 3:30 p.m. on October 13th the aircraft struck a mountain pieces of the plane fell away as it hit the mountain several times on its way down, losing its right wing and then its left wing. At one point, the tail cone of the plane came off along with the back of the fuselage, which left a gaping hole five passengers and two crew were sucked out of. The plane eventually struck the top of a slope and slid nose down at breakneck speed about 218 miles per hour before crashing into a large snowbank, killing the pilots, and finally settling in a remote valley of Argentina near the Chilean border. A search for the missing plane was launched, but it soon became clear that the last reported location was incorrect. Rescue efforts shifted to the Andes. The survivors later reported spotting several planes, but the snow-covered mountains made detection of the white plane extremely difficult. Some of the survivors tried to spell out an SOS on top of the fuselage with lipstick they found in the luggage, but they quickly realized that they didn't have enough. They also found a small transistor radio in the plane, which they used to monitor the search efforts though they couldn't use it to signal to anyone that they were still alive. The harsh environment led many to believe that there were no survivors. On day 11, the search was called off, though later rescue efforts were undertaken by family members. The crash initially killed 12 people, leaving 33 survivors, a number of whom were injured. Two of the rugby players on board, Gustavo Zerbino and Roberto Canessa, were medical students in Uruguay and they were able to use their training to help the hurt passengers. Many had compound fractures or had been impaled by pieces of the plane. At an altitude of about 11,500 feet, the group faced snow and freezing sub-zero temperatures. Another five people died during that first night from their injuries. While the plane's fuselage was largely intact, it provided limited protection from the harsh elements. One passenger used a sun visor from the pilot's cabin, wire and a bra to make goggles to prevent snow blindness. He also figured out a way to melt snow for drinking water. Eight bars of chocolate, a tin of mussels, three jars of jam, some nuts, dried fruit, candy, and a bottle of wine were all the survivors had to eat. They tried to make it last as long as possible. One man ate a single peanut over three days, but it was gone in a week. Desperate, they tried to survive by eating cotton and leather from the plane seats. But on the 10th day, some of the survivors made a grisly pact. We'll be back right after this. Thank you to Best Fiends for sponsoring this episode. After you've finished listening to the latest podcast on your list, you could scroll on social media or do a deep dive on the internet, researching everything related to the show. Or, when you need a break, like I do after browsing online, it might be time to change up the pace and play the mobile puzzle game, Best Fiends. I love being able to relax while collecting Best Fiends, discovering their special powers, and exploring the world of minutiae. Best Fiends is a casual game, so it doesn't stress me out, but it still challenges my brain because it's a puzzle game. There are thousands of levels and special missions. I'm currently on level 525 and am really enjoying the latest challenge of using bombs to clear away slime left behind by the devious slugs. Best Fiends has really created a whole world right on my phone. It's bright and colorful with great graphics, and there's a story behind each character. Bo the dragon slug is on a mission to prove that slugs can be cute too. I love his special X-Bomb skill that helps me blow up blocks in an X shape. Best Fiends never gets old. There are new in-game challenges and events every month so you'll never get bored. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi, so it's perfect to pick up when you're in the drive-thru or waiting to get your groceries that you ordered online. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Hey there, I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal. Or murder. Join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the handle at 3 girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you. If they died, the survivors decided, the others should eat their flesh to survive. Roberto Canessa, one of the medical students, led the way. He used broken glass from the windshield to cut off a tiny piece off one of the frozen bodies. The bodies of the pilot and co-pilot were first because the survivors didn't personally know them. It took some survivors a while to come to grips with the new source of food, and many struggled to keep it down. One woman, who refused to eat, eventually died on day 60, weighing just 55 pounds. They swallowed only tiny pieces of flesh. It wasn't a meal, it was an act of desperation. As the days went by, even this last source of food began to give out. When the muscle was gone, they had to turn to the brains and organs of the dead. It was clear that even eating the bodies wouldn't be enough to keep them alive until they were finally found by rescuers. And starvation wasn't the only danger on the mountain. Over the next few weeks, six others died and further hardship struck on October 29th when an avalanche buried the fuselage and filled part of it with snow, causing eight more deaths. Using a metal pole, one of the men was able to poke enough holes in the snow to keep the others from suffocating. But they wouldn't be able to dig their way out of the snow for another two days. And when they did, they were greeted with a raging blizzard outside. They spent three days inside the snow before they managed to escape the wreckage of the fuselage. Those killed in the avalanche became new sources of food. During this time, several survivors had been surveying the area for an escape route. On December 12th, with just sixteen people still alive, three of the survivors set out for help, though one later returned to the wreckage. After a difficult trek, the other two men finally came across three herdsmen in a Chilean village on December 20th. However, the Chileans were on the opposite side of a river though, so the noise made it hard to hear. The herdsmen indicated that they would return the following day. Early the next morning, the Chileans reappeared, and the two groups communicated by writing notes on paper that they then wrapped around a rock and threw across the water. The survivor's note read, I come from a plane that fell in the mountains. The authorities were notified and on December 22nd, two helicopters were sent to the wreckage. Six survivors were flown to safety, but bad weather delayed the eight others from being rescued until the next day. They were treated for broken bones, frostbite, altitude sickness, dehydration, malnutrition, and scurvy. In the resulting media frenzy, the survivors revealed that they had been forced to commit cannibalism. The admission caused a backlash until one of the survivors claimed that they had been inspired by the Last Supper in which Jesus gave his disciples bread and wine that he stated were his body and his blood. The explanation helped sway public opinion, and the Catholic Church later absolved the men. A number of books and films were based on the ordeal, including the bestseller Alive, which was adapted for the big screen in 1993. About the incident, Roberto Canessa said, Unfortunately, such tragedies do take place. One should understand that any day might become the last one in our life, and thus hold dear every second. Was the catastrophic crash of Uruguayan Flight 571 and the horrifying aftermath caused because they flew on Friday the 13th? Would the series of terrifying events have happened if they had departed? on a different day? What do you think? Find us on Instagram at Straight Up Enigmas or Twitter at Straight Enigmas and let us know. You can also contact us through email at Enigmas at gmail.com or through our website, straightupenigmas.home.blog. If you like the show, please remember to hop onto Apple Podcasts to give us a 5-star rating. It really helps the show. This episode was written and produced by me, Jaden McKell. It was edited by Austin Blackwell. The theme song, Straight Up Enigmas, was created by Chuck Flyer. I leaned on a lot of great sources for the research and narration of this episode, so be sure to take a look at the links in our show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you soon on November 17th for the next episode of Straight Up Enigmas. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.